Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, the Russell Berry Foundation, making a difference, RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, moving the region through air, land, rail, and sea. Gibbons PC. And by United Airlines. Promotional support provided by AM970 The Answer. And by Meadowlands Chamber. Building connections, driving business growth. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. This is Think Tank. I want to thank you all for joining us. I want to acknowledge uh, my co-host here and our colleague, Nicole Swinerton, who's the senior producer of Think Tank. Nicole, how are we doing today? Even though we're remote, we're still doing important programming. Yep, we're remote and good to be with you, even via Zoom. Yeah, and by the way, before we talk about this program with Neil Shapiro, the head of WNET, Ali Hushman, who is the uh, president of Rowan University, talking about the future of colleges and university, the future of higher ed. By the way, Neil Shapiro talking about the role of public broadcasting in this pandemic, and also Richard Uniak at Bridges Outreach. And by the way, what, tell folks what Bridges Outreach does. Bridges Outreach is an awesome organization. They reach out to um, home, the homeless community across the state of New Jersey and in New York City. And we know that that is a community that's being seriously affected right now during this pandemic. Yeah, by the way, we talked about the role of public broadcasting, and we wouldn't be able to do what we do if it were not for those who support us. Could you tell folks who our lead sponsors and underwriters are? Sure. We'd love to thank the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, PSENG, RWJ Barnabas Health, and Givens PC. Also want to say thank you some, to some other funders, Russ Berry, uh, Russell Berry Foundation, New Jersey Sharing Network, the Economic Development Authority in New Jersey, Port Authority, and United Airlines. Real quick. Um, Neil Shapiro talking about the role of public broadcasting. What was your takeaway from that? I think it's so great. What an awesome opportunity that the public media is able to help kids, help all people be a resource for so many different things right now. I think that putting on great educational programming is so wonderful that they're able to do that. And we know it's helpful to our students, to kids who are home, to families who are home. So I just think it's a great opportunity for them. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to tune in. Yeah, uh, Nicole's talking about instructional television, which is going on in New York and New Jersey. And Neil Shapiro talks about that. Real quick, uh, a lot of, we have a junior in high school, um, our son Nick, a couple of years away, a year and a half. But what about seniors going into college? We don't know what higher ed's going to look like. Ali Hushman talked about that down at Rowan. That field is going to be so dramatically altered as we move forward. And Dr. Hushmand explains that, how many different ways things are going to change. My brother is a junior in college. He's experiencing it right now. And it is, it, it's, I don't want to say it's sad, but things are changing. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, talk about a new reality. Uh, yep. Dr. Hushman talks about that. Um, and by the way, thank you, Nicole. Uh, thank you for checking this out. And before we move any, before we go any further, Let's make sure everyone understands Think Tank is a program that presents information, but most of all, we like to say 
make sure you think for yourself. Without further ado, Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Um, we are obviously producing and recording remotely. We are pleased to be joined uh, once again. Usually it's in the studio. We'll Usually. take him anywhere we can get him. He's Neil Shapiro, President and CEO, the WNET Group. Good to see you, Neil. Good to see you, Steve, under these circumstances. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the circumstances. Um, you have been a producer, a top-level TV media executive for more than a few years. <clears throat> the way we are producing now, the way NJTV News produces, the way Metro Focus produces, the way a lot of people are producing, is this what we're going to be doing for a while? I think it is. I mean, I think it, it, it will take a while before we get back, but I think there's two things that have emerged. One is we prove we can do it. If you had told me that we can, I can run my entire company with nobody in the office, and I mean nobody, I would have said it's impossible, but it works. And the other thing I think is the audience understands that the pictures aren't always as crisp. Sometimes there's a lag when we talk, but especially now, content is the most important thing. And I think what the audience is responding to, and they are in record numbers, is, is responsible, trusted content. Um, that's really what public media has been all about. You know, we've had lots of conversations. You've talked about this on the air for people who've seen you on WNET and JTV. And by the way, let's let know everyone know what the WNET group comprises. Lay that out because it's getting bigger all the time. Sure. So it's Channel, channel 13, WLIW 21, NJTV. Then it's our digital channels, World, Create, um, PBS Kids, All Arts, and NJTV. And the New Jersey Spotlight part of the team as well. Exactly, exactly. We, are, we actually like interviewed some of the folks from there today. They're, they're playing an important role as well. Neil, the bigger picture role of public media in a global pandemic. You know, I think what's really interesting is I, this plays, I think, to our strengths. And as Paula Kerger, the president of PBS, said, you know, we weren't created for this, but we're perfectly suited for this. In a time where people demand, I would say kind of a, a couple of things. They want really trusted content they can get in depth, uh, with a lot of screaming and shouting, but real content, we're there for that. I think they want things that are distracting and that they can get lost in, and that's the kind of great arts and culture that we bring. And then I think, especially for kids, there's a big role there. We have kids who can't go to school, kids now are gonna have challenges over the summer, and we stepped up in a big way in that regard too. Yeah, let's follow up on that. One of the initiatives that our, um, our daughter Olivia checks out virtually every day when she doesn't have a regular schoolwork is the Learning Live initiative on NJTV. That's one of several. Talk about the actual teaching, using teachers, working with departments of education, whether it's in New York City or the state of New Jersey. Talk about that piece because that's incredibly innovative. Yeah, and, and I have to say, it was great to see it come together. This started in New Jersey, um, that we approached uh, the Department of Education and the union and said- New Jersey them, Education Association exactly. as well, right? Right? And we said to them, hey, this is a unique time. Could we do something together? And they were both really intrigued, um, which doesn't, as you know, doesn't always happen. But the teachers were totally excited. We had 250 teachers who wanted to volunteer who were excited about this. Um, the the uh, Department of Education was thrilled about this. And then the question was, how could we take just teaching and make it more exciting than just a teacher at a blackboard? And if you've watched any of this, you know the teachers have really stepped up. They're kids of TV, too. So they've done all kinds of clever, fun, smart things to make it engaging, to make it audio, audience responsive. They then tape on their laptops. It goes to our editors, who do even more magic to it. And then it goes off to our mass control in Syracuse and then back down to the TVs in Syracuse. And I should say, um, when I'm not working, I have, I'm, I'm on in the corner of my eye, and I've learned more about fractions and soil <laughs> composition and the Missouri Compromise than I think I ever knew before. 
it's important stuff. By the way, go on the NJTV uh, website, go on the uh, WNET website as well, um, and find out about those educational instructional initiatives. Now, there's another issue that I wish you and I didn't have to talk about as much as we do, but we do, and that's money. Put this in context for people. You've often said this, but I'll, I'll allow you to say it instead of me. I raise more. I spend more than half of my time raising money. You yeah. spend even more time than that raising money. Yeah. Explain to everyone what the COVID nineteen situation has meant and will mean moving forward for public broadcasting. Yeah. Well, look. First, we should say this is a difficult time for everybody, and I want to make it clear that our hearts go out to everybody who's affected, who's lost their job. It's a tough time for everybody. But if you're wondering how it affects what we do in public media, it's a massive problem. You know, the biggest um, source of funds we have are viewers like you. That's why we right. say it. And all the projections are that's what's going to be hit hardest in this in this pandemic. It's not surprising as unemployment reaches 10, 20, 30 percent. Um, people don't have that discretionary income. So on the one hand, we're faced a loss there. We face a lot of our underwriters, companies who obviously aren't open for business, are not going to have money to help support us. And even people who have real resources have seen their wealth diminished by a quarter or a third, so they're less likely to give. And at the same time, as we just talked about, we want to and need to do more. So education, we're doing all these things we didn't do before, engaging teachers. Um, we're now thinking about what we can do over the summer and perhaps into the fall. That's a whole new demand on us that we didn't have before and new resources that we need. Um, our news team, NJTV doing a fabulous job, but working Absolutely. remotely. So a lot more different expenses, including, you know, protective equipment, um, things we didn't have to do in doing the broadcast in a different way. That's more expensive. Um, and then as we try to get a, a lot of our material licensed, some of it we're re-upping to bring back, that's more expensive. So we're seeing our expenses go up and our resources go down. So if you see you and I on TV more than the usual saying it's hard times, right. I think I want people to understand it truly is. And by the way, you mentioned NJTV News. Uh... I'm not going to call it the sister program because it's not. It's 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 what it is, and stands on its own. Metro Focus, a synopsis of it and why it especially matters with three great anchors and a terrific team there. It's a different kind of broadcast than NJTV News, but no less important. Go ahead. So Metro Focus is really, especially this pandemic is doing in-depth interviews, one or two a day, about some different aspect of the pandemic in the tri-state area. A lot about the particularly the metropolitan area giving a chance to, you know, um, as, as even as we get coverage here, you don't get to hear the controller talk for 15 or 25 minutes about what's happening. Right. You don't get to hear members of the city council talk about that. And this issue is so complicated, so interrelated on so many issues, finance, transportation, planning, um, education, commerce, business. So trying to look at all those angles and giving people real time to talk about it. And if I could just add just how proud I am of the NJTV team. Because, you know, they called me one day and said, you know, a member of our, we think someone may have tested positive. I said, you can't go back in the building. They said, okay. They got in there that night and they haven't missed a broadcast since. And, you know, we had done some planning. We had planned for another 9-11. Like, what would have happened if we couldn't get into our building for a day or two? Right. We didn't plan for, how about if we couldn't get into anything anywhere for months? Um, and the team figured it out. So I'm incredibly proud of them. Yeah, it's impressive across the board. And by the way, we look forward to being able to get back into that studio when it's safe yeah. for everyone, NJTV uh, studio, and also the Tish WNET studio in New York. Now, before I let you go, you and I, you also did our sister program, not even, I should, the sister and brother program, it doesn't exist. The lessons in leadership program we did, it's a podcast. Yeah. And I had asked you at the time, several 
several weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, the most significant leadership lesson you've learned in this mid-May as we're taping, the most significant leadership lesson you've learned in the age of COVID-19 is? I think it's to be totally honest with people about what you don't know. I think people, I think people respond to leaders who say what they know and what they don't know. And to be honest about what you don't know and how you'll respond to information when you get it. I think if you look at the leaders across the country, the people, if you look at the ratings have been highest when people say, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, here's my plan, I'm going to adjust as I get more information. Because nobody's lived through anything quite like this. Well, on that note, I also want to say the leadership's also about being accessible. And I remember calling Neil soon after it became clear that the world was going to be very different. And I said, Neil, we have to produce, but we don't know exactly how to do it. And we brainstormed and he gave us some ideas and, and we're repurposing some old programming that's more important than ever before. We're doing this and we're doing the best we can to serve the people in the tri-state community. Uh, Neil Shapiro, the president and CEO of the WNET Group. Neil, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us and being our leader. Thank you, Neil. Stay safe, be well. Same to you. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. Welcome back, folks. We are clearly remote. And while I'm in the northern part of the state, in the southern part of the state, we have our good friend and uh, one of the top presidents in the state of New Jersey in terms of universities and colleges, Ali Hushman, Dr. Ali Hushman, president at Rowan University. How are you doing, doctor? I'm doing fine. Thank you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I read, I believe it was in ROI, that you said um, everything, and it, it actually was specifically April 7th, article we're taping in the middle of May, it'll be seen later, Everything's on hold. What did that mean? Well, because what, 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 what it meant was every major decision that we have to make, and typically every, every year we make major decisions about construction, about the creation of new programs, new schools, hiring of certain faculties in certain areas, making certain partnership with different research organizations to build new infrastructures or new business, all of these things suddenly goes on hold because you have to focus the entirety of your energy and the energy of your organization towards the immediate challenge because it's so overwhelmingly large that you cannot possibly focus in something else because you know as a leader, if you really want to do something, you got to do it right. And by doing it right, that means you have to put your total energy and passion behind it. Otherwise, you're not focused. Therefore, you're not looking at all the solutions. So for all those reasons, we had to set aside all those other projects. We had close to quarter billion dollar construction that were almost immediate. We had to suddenly freeze for at least a year. We had major you know, planning and, 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 and discussions with uh, entities to, to build, for example, we're looking at, at, at a possible school in, in uh, veterinary medicine. Uh, we were looking at significant expansion in our, in our esports. Uh, we had a, a whole facility, uh, uh, 300 acres that was being considered for, for a massive sports infrastructure. All of these things had to be basically frozen for now so that we see what happens. You know, as you lay all that out, the other reality that you and other university and college presidents are dealing with, and let me also say Rowan's one of the 
institutions of higher learning that is an underwriter of what we do. And, and I've also taught remotely. Interestingly, it was the first course I taught remotely, uh, Dr. Hushman, was at Rowan a couple of years ago. But that leads me to the fall. You can't predict. You don't know. No one knows. But what would the conditions have to be for you and your colleagues to make the decision to have students be on campus as opposed to remote? Or is there something in between? Well, let me tell you the overarching reason and, 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 and focus of all of us is ultimately the safety of everybody, but the most important thing, students. And the reason for that is very simple. Look at your own child. Your own child is the most precious asset you could possibly have. Nothing else replaces that child. And you bring that child to us and you say, here it is, take care of this child for me and turn it back to me, turn this child back to me as an educated, productive citizen. And you don't even take any collateral from me. That's a massive trust. So we need to make sure that whatever we do keeps them safe. At the same time, we have certain obligations at the state, depending on what the governor decides to do, what the conditions of the country and the state is at that time, and what the federal government is gonna do. But right now, if you ask me what we are planning to do, we believe that we will start we would have our students in here, but there would be a mix of kind of reducing the class size. Let's assume a 30 student classroom. You probably have 10 students being face to face and the remaining 10 of them, 20 of them in their, in their dorm and they're doing it through Zoom or through, through, through WebEx. And, and these people could rotate or think about four sections of let's say biology 101 where all of them can meet with one professor online through a lecture, and then we divide them into very small recitation classes. 10 students in that room, and they see the professors on for one hour, they go through kind of uh, discussions face-to-face -face that way. So we are looking at all of these possibilities. We are looking at how do we shrink the size of a lecture into clips of two minutes or five minutes, and how do we deliver them at different times? Does it have to be synchronous or can it be always asynchronous? All of these things you have to look at because the fact of the matter is still we have entered the whole new world that we have never experienced before. You know, Dr. Hushman, as you talk about all these options, decisions, choices, everything's on the table, but technology and innovation, which Rowan's been very involved in from, for years, mm -hmm. forefront, is that the key to virtually all of this innovation, being innovative and technologically advanced? This is the world that we're entering, whether we like it or not. This thing, this pandemic has taught us one big lesson, that technology is gonna be an integral part of everything that we do. Whether we drive, we fly, we cook food, we get education, or we communicate with each other, you know you're in the forefront of it, it's gonna be all about technology. And the fact is the new generation, the generation X that are coming in and getting to the colleges, these kids are so smart and so advanced and so in tune with technology that they are going to define the future world. So between the pandemic and the generations that are so comfortable with it, you're really entering a whole new world where the notion of professors being sages on a stage, right. that's not going to be anymore. These professors are going to be guides on the side. They're going to do different things. Lectures are not going to be one and a half hour on Tuesdays and one and a half hour on Thursdays. Learning and the whole degree and the whole, you know, what do you, what do you define as credential are going to change because the needs of the society, needs of economy, and the way of learning are going to change. You know, if you really think about it, today I can easily say, claim, that a 15-year-old kid is probably much more advanced technologically than I am. 
with the PhD. Same here, Ali. <laughs> right? so, yeah. so, so think about that. How suddenly the student becomes a professor in this situation. That's so right. So we have to really try to recognize that and adjust accordingly. I think our responsibility as educators is this. We bring young minds from home, the people who have left home for the first time. Bring them in here and teach them the way of life. Teach them how to make decisions, right decisions at the right time. How do they use information to package information to look into the future? How do they learn from the past so that they do not make the mistakes of the past and move into the future in the right decisions? These are the way that we need to teach them along the way of focusing them in a particular major. But the teaching is not just a degree, it's not just mechanical engineering or psychology, it's all of the rest of it. How do we street smart? How do we make right decision? Mm -hmm. Because there comes a time that the parents have to let go of that kid, and that kid has to survive by himself or herself. And when we prepare them to make those kind of decisions, I believe we have done our job. And that really is what I define as an educator. Dr. Hushman, I got one minute left, quickly. The economics of higher education moving forward, go. Very, very different. It's going to be different. We better become lean, mean. We better be learn how to do substantially more with substantially less because people are not going to bankroll us anymore. States are not going to bankroll us anymore. Feds are not going to bankroll us anymore. It's a business. Run it like a business. Make it efficient and pass the saving to the students. Otherwise, they ain't going to show up. That's a fact. Well said. That's uh, Dr. Ali Hushman, president of Rowan University. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Dr. Hushman will also be joining us for a, second, a separate segment on our leadership program. You can check that out as well. But uh, Ali, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you and your colleagues down at Rowan all the best. Stay safe and be well. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. Welcome back, folks. We continue um, talking to a whole range of folks who are dealing with COVID-19 longer term in particular. And we're joined by Richard Uniak, who's executive director of Bridges Outreach. Richard, good to have you with us. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate being here. Describe the work of Bridges. Typically, we engage in street outreach runs in Manhattan, which is our origin story, as well as Newark and Irvington, and we open our doors at our summit office to our neighbors in need there. Uh, despite the fact that the numbers are generally smaller, uh, we do have some folks experiencing homelessness in Summit as well. So pre-COVID, we were focused on outreach and engagement with folks, providing them with basic human needs right there on the street week after week. Uh, also, case management at our drop-in center in Newark on Halsey Street. So preventing imminent homelessness, connecting people with shelter, with benefits, with housing, providing access to showers, things as simple mm -hmm. as that, uh, and medical care. And then also engaged in... Uh, really a systems change effort. There's a process called Built for Zero, which is how Bergen County, New Jersey became the first community in the nation to achieve what's called functional zero for chronic homelessness. So we want to be like Bergen. We want to follow that path. It's a continuous improvement model. Um, so we've been working with the city and the county COC as well. So enter COVID, things look a little different. How and, different? Uh, Describe, sorry for interrupting. Not at all. Um, one of the challenges of producing this way. 
Richard, put in perspective the challenges, the unique and difficult challenges those who are homeless are facing in the age of COVID-19 as we tape in the middle of May. Yeah, so the people who are experiencing homelessness are uh, uniquely susceptible. You know, they live a fairly unhygienic life if they're outside, uh, if they're at shelter, they're living in a congregant setting. They're doing all the things that we are all told not to do. And put it simply, they can't stay home, right? If, if you don't have one, you can't follow those orders. So when the guidance came out that anybody who had recently been to New York City should self-quarantine for 14 days, this has been more than a month now, we decided it wasn't safe enough to bring our volunteers or our staff into New York City anymore for the time being. So we focused on Newark and we really leaned in and redeployed everybody who could be redeployed to the streets of Newark in effort to engage with people who are experiencing homelessness and to get them into shelter or to get them into immediate medical care, you know, asking them the, the basic triage questions at first, do you have a fever, cough, shortness of breath, and have you been around anyone who does? And including myself, we've been out there now since about March 22nd, seven days a week until 11 p.m. at night. And uh, in partnership with the health department and with the city and with the Newark Essex COC, I can tell you what turned out to be a, a really urgent and, and kind of scary scenario because there aren't enough shelter spaces. And we know that there's a fairly large contingent of folks, particularly in Newark, which has by far the most people experiencing homelessness. Including person, veterans. Including veterans, absolutely. Um, who, who just simply wouldn't go into a shelter, especially not a congregate shelter. Um, so what the city did, which has been really remarkable, was to stand up two hotels that would be used as shelters. One, an isolation shelter for folks who were COVID positive, not sick enough to need a hospital bed, but could not isolate at home. And the other, simply an alternative shelter with individual hotel rooms for people who are experiencing homelessness and three meals a day and wraparound services. And that has led to the most incredible success that I think we, we ever could have imagined. We've had more than 1,500 people engaged. That's actually a duplicated number because some of these folks continued to say no, um, and that's through this past Sunday. But 471 unique people placed into shelter since that time, including uh, 182 in the biggest low barrier shelter in the city, the Help Center on Sussex Avenue, and 287 in this hotel shelter. So it's been... It's been incredible to get that many people off the streets, Steve. You know, Richard, you're a nonprofit. We're a nonprofit. We've been doing a lot of programming about the role of nonprofits in the age of COVID-19 and moving forward. And, and the folks at the Healthcare Foundation told us about you, and, and I know they're supportive, and, and they are for us as well. Here's the question. How hard is it to raise the money you need to do what you do every day as a nonprofit, helping those who are the most vulnerable on the streets of our urban communities? Nonprofits have this challenge where every year they have a pretty good idea of what it's going to cost, but they start at zero. You know, unless you have earned revenue, you have to raise all that money. And like all of our other nonprofit friends, we had all of our spring activities canceled, fundraising events, uh, you know, mailings that we were going to send out, the language we were going to use. None of that was applicable anymore. You couldn't get people together. We can't plan for a 5K in September. All the things that everybody's facing. What I would say is that. For the revenue side of the equation, we have continued to see the community, the state, and beyond step up and support 
our efforts as we have stepped up to support especially Newark. So as we have increased, we hired five people uh, effective April 1st to increase our outreach and engagement program. And these, so as our budget few seconds, I'm sorry for interrupting, Richard, a few seconds left, go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, as we have leaned in and stepped up and spent more to do this work, we have we have seen a, a significant increase in support that is helping to keep us going, and, and I'm grateful for that. Plug your website if you could. We are at bridgesoutreach.org. I cannot imagine more important work that anyone could be doing, uh, not just those on the front lines in hospitals, but on the front lines of helping those and supporting those and being there for those who are out, who, who are homeless. And that does include many veterans, but a whole range of other people with mental health issues, uh, drug and alcohol related issues. And Richard and his colleagues at uh, Bridges Outreach are working at it every day. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. All the best. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm Steve Adubato. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey. The Russell Berry Foundation, RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, PSENG, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Gibbons PC, and by United Airlines. Promotional support provided by AM970 The Answer and by Meadowlands Chamber. Transportation provided by Airbrook Limousine, serving the metropolitan New York, New Jersey area. At PSEG, we know that millions of customers rely on us to heat their homes and power their lives and businesses. I'm proud of the efforts of our dedicated employees who are hard at work making sure that customers have the energy they need to get through this challenging time. Through patience, perseverance, and an unwavering commitment to the well-being of our employees, customers, and the communities we serve, we will get through this.